If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. So the podcast you're about to hear is entitled Ask Andy Anything, and uh, this was uh, suggested by so many of you who got on uh, the, the Facebook page for One Degree of Andy to say, hey, these are some topics we'd love for you to discuss, some things about your career we'd love for you to talk about. So I've invited my friend Michael Neal to come on and help moderate this and kind of keep me out of the weeds, which is really hard to do because once I get the ball rolling down the hill for some of these stories, then they can go on forever. So I hope you enjoy this episode of One Degree called Ask Andy Anything. And I just have to say too that the day after recording this podcast, we found out that our good friend Don Cook passed away of cancer. And uh, man, that's just, it's it's heartbreaking for us who knew him and, and did life with him. And you know, Don was such a big part of For Him's career as a producer and a songwriter. And he wrote some of the biggest songs in the history of Christian music. If you just Google his name, you will see tons of great songs that I know that you'll remember. So again, it's with heavy heart that we say goodbye to our good friend, Don Cook. Uh, you know, go back and listen to the Don Cook, Dave Clark episode uh, that I did a while back. And uh, it's just, you know, some great stories there, a great legacy that he leaves behind. And you know, I'm just so glad that I got to sit down and talk with him one more time um, and pray for his family, his wife, Leslie, and their family and their, their children. Uh, I know this is a very difficult time for them. Um, of course, I have to tell you that if you want to become a premium subscriber, it's really easy to do. You can just go to my website, andychrisman.com, and uh, sign up there. Also, get on our newsletter so you can find out everything that's happening with the show and with worship and all the great things that God has me doing in the world of worship. Again, all of that is at andychrisman.com. Dot com. Okay, here's my conversation with my good friend, Michael Neal. The title of this episode is called Ask Andy Anything. So many of the listeners of this podcast have been asking for uh, more stories about being on the road, especially for him and truth and just some of my personal stories. So uh, I threw this out on, on Facebook, on the uh, One Degree of Andy Facebook page. So go follow that, everybody that's listening, and ask for questions. like basically an Ask Andy Anything episode. So I've invited my buddy, Michael Neal. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, and if you if you are a fan of CCM, you might remember Neil and Webb. Oh, yeah. Michael and uh, his buddy, Devin Webb, who... 10 to 12 people out there that would remember that. <laughs> Absolutely. And why aren't you guys on Apple Music and Spotify? Why isn't your music streaming? You know, it probably should be. You know, we we were yeah, a, a small label prior prior to those uh, entities, and so uh, we've got masters laying around. We probably just need to digitize and upload, and we've never done that. So, so what label were you on? 
We were on Liquid Disc Records. So Steve Griffith, who was the producer, came over from the yeah. West Coast. Yeah. He um he produced Audio Adrenaline and some great bands back in the nineties. And he started a label and got distribution for us. So we jumped in with him right out of the gate. I mean, fresh out of college, first 10 songs I'd ever written. He said, Hey, I just wanted to see if he'd produce a demo for us. And we went over to his house at his studio and and I played him all 10 songs. That's all I had. And he said, <laughs> Well, I'm not going to produce a demo, but I'm starting a label. So if you want to make a couple of records, we could do that. And I said, Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so Devin and I got in our car and drove away. And I go, Did we just did we just get a record deal? I think we did. Oh, cool. Incredible. You know? So yeah, that kind Incredible. of started. We went on and then there. how many right how many records did you guys do? We did three. Um, we yeah. did three with with them and we ended up buying all of our masters out. And oh wow. We we booked ourselves all over and did ministry yeah. all over the world, really. Um, and then, you know, just had, and we're still like the best of friends today. Devin went on to plant an incredible church there in Mount Juliet. And yeah, I've been there. I got to lead worship there over the summer. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, went on to be a worship pastor and do a bunch of little creative things here and there. And uh, Well, so, you're, yeah, being, you're being humble. I mean, you know, uh, the river is, I think, one of the great, uh, fiction novels oh. that, and Christian fiction novels come out in the last couple of decades. And, and, uh, I mean, leading worship, I mean, I mean, come on, Christ fellowship and Preston Wood and what's now church of the city in Nashville. I mean, you've, you, you, you've definitely had a, a pretty, a pretty intense career after your Christian music. Yes, God called us to the local church. We had no idea (laughs) kind of (laughs) the scope and, uh, you know, the, the, the level of octane, I would say of ministry that he was calling us into, but it's been incredible. We've learned a lot, grown a lot Mm -hmm. and seen God do a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Local churches, I would say that's the bottom floor of what you've been a part of. I mean, you're the churches you've been a part of, like I said, you know, just, you know, Christ fellowship in Florida and Preston Wood in Dallas two of the biggest churches in the world, really. I mean, uh, what denomination is, is uh, Christ Fellowship? Is it Baptist? Christ Fellowship is non-denominational. Oh, it's non-denominational, okay. Yeah, it's a non-denominational, and it's a full gospel, just an incredible church um, that's actually celebrating their 40th year this yeah. year, which is mm-hmm. really exciting. So um, yeah. excited to go down and be a part of that with Pastor Tom Mullins and Todd yeah, and Julie Mullins. Pastor Tom has been a friend of ours since the... Gosh, in some mid eighties, late eighties, because we knew him when we were part of truth. And then I run into him every once in a while. And we, I remember for him was, uh, we had just got on the road. I think it was our first, like our first fall out on the road. Cause we started touring away from truth in like October or September of, of two, uh, 2000 was wait, no, uh, September of 1990. And one of the first concerts we did was his church and they were building in their first building yeah. in 1990. And we had all this cash on the road with us. Like we would, we drove our own bus and we had our own, our wives were with us and we had this small crew of guys that came with us. And uh, we hadn't figured out yet how to get all this money we were getting because we were doing love offering concerts. Mm-hmm. So we would have, I would have a bag with like $20,000 in it from, from maybe three shows and all the merch money. And, you know, back in the day, you couldn't just walk into a bank 
and say, I have $20,000 in $1, $5, $10 bills <laughs> and just all this mountain of change. And so we would literally carry all this money with us and we had a safe on the bus that was kind of hidden in the back and we'd put all that money back there, but we would, we would tithe on it as we would go. Oh, and wow. so we, we'd have two or three shows and we'd go, okay, we've got like $5,000 here. We want to tithe on and give it to somebody. And one of those was Tom Mullins, Pastor Tom Mullins. And he was starting his church. Well, I, he'd already been in his church, but he was, they, were, they were starting their first building. And uh, we went in, I think, on a Sunday morning and gave him like $10,000 cash. And ever since then, he's just, we've just been so close to him. He tells that story so many times. Every time I see him, he'll we'll be in a room full of pastors and he'll call me over and go, let me tell you what this young man did for us 30 <laughs> years ago. And um, yeah, he's always that's got a, a special place in our heart. But, um, but yeah, we've known each other for a long time because, um, you know, we were, um, we met each other on the road and uh, you did some concerts with us back in the day. Well, I was a groupie. I mean, let's go all the way back. Because okay. I was I was a high school groupie. First of all, my first concert was Truth Christian concert in a church that I ever saw. You remember Truth. what year? You remember what year it was? It would have been nineteen eighty five. Oh wow! So that was before even I got there. Yeah, so I was thirteen years old. It was wow. First Baptist Church in Deland, Florida, Central Florida, and I'll never forget. There were electric guitars and drums, and I was like, I've now seen the light. Like I know. I know my path. This is, this is acceptable in church. I mean, that was groundbreaking for uh, all those little churches. And so, yeah, I remember, I think Kirk was singing with the, with uh, yeah. them at that time. Probably singing gentle hands and yeah. Uh, yeah. And then soon after that, so I just, I, I followed you guys. And then as you, I remember uh, when you came through uh, Deltona, Florida, there in a little church there. And I, I, uh, I auditioned for truth. I was six, 17. And Mark did the audition and he was so nice, Michael, uh, you know, he was just so <laughs> kind and I sang my guts out and I just didn't have a shot. You know, I was, I was too young. He told yeah, me, I was, well, yeah, was, yeah. I was too young, but God's got his hand on you, Michael. And he really encouraged me. And so I just followed you guys around, went to all your concerts whenever you're around. I was just, I was, I was on the way I was praying in, I was praying in deep to be fifth. I mean, I, I was going to be the fifth. I was, I was on my way but wow. never, never panned out. Yeah. But now I get to hang out. So that's cool. You know? Yeah. Well, we never were going to be five, Michael. No, I know. Uh, I know. But work. you know, in my little high school mind, <laughs> it worked out, you know, but yeah, let's talk about what we're doing now. So you and me and Mark Harris uh, have a ministry called the worship table. You're wearing the hat today. I, am, I, could go, yes. I could throw mine on real quick for a little more advertising there, but uh, we have a heart for worship pastors in America that are, that just need refreshing, which I think we, we've all been worship pastors. All three of us have been worship pastors and we understand what it's like to, to be in that weekly grind or that, that yearly grind of that schedule. And, uh, being an artist in the church can be a weird thing sometimes, and it can be very misunderstood. And you would think that musicians and worship pastors at these large churches, they don't need any more encouragement. You know, they've kind of got the dream job, but it's just the opposite. It's a, it's, it's an odd little, um, it's an odd little job that, that we get to do each week. And there are just some unique challenges that come with that. So we developed the worship table, which we're gathering worship pastors from across the country to come with us and hang out with us. Uh, you know, between the three of us, you, me and Mark, we have 
probably well over a hundred years of, of ministry experience together. And we can deposit some things into these, these younger worship pastors. And, uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to get involved, they can go to the worship uh, They can go to my website, Andy Crispin.com, Michael Neal, Michael Neal.com. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and find out how you can either be a part of it or support it. And, uh, we just feel like that's what God's called us to do with, um, I think with just this journey that we've, that we've each been on, we want to encourage worship pastors. We want to pour into them. We want to see them finish their race and finish mm-hmm. it well and not, and not quit when things get hard or when things get weird or, you know, things aren't going the way they maybe had dreamed of by watching, mm-hmm. you know, Instagram and, you know, yeah. all these highlight reels from all these other churches. So anyway, I know I'm doing all the talking, but yeah. No, absolutely, man. It, it, it's definitely something, you know, you go through these seasons in your life where you're an artist and you're creating and you're making and you're, and that'll always be in all of us. I mean, you're an artist. I'm an artist. I will always continue to create, but there comes a point in our ministry life where I believe we become artist leaders, where we're actually helping other people bring their offering and there we're helping other people do it well. And I think I'm, I've been in that passage for a while. How do I unpack what is it that God's been showing me all these years? And so we, we've been on that journey and to get people, you know, we don't learn and we don't really learn or grow in rows. We grow in circles. We grow yeah, around the exactly table. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why it exists to get guys together, to really begin to hold each other accountable, to share best practices and to make sure that we finish well. Mm. And uh, right. so it's a great, it's one of my greatest honors to be alongside you and Mark in this. And uh, we just want to get as many guys going with us as we can to help them uh, lead effectively. Yeah. So. so if that's, if that's interesting to you, or maybe God kind of prompts your heart to see more about that, just go again, just go to the worship or you can follow Michael Neal, myself on social media, go to our websites. It's, it's all there. Uh, but yeah, we could spend a lot more time together now even though our paths have crossed many, many times and we've stayed yeah. in contact. And so uh, it's just, I just wanted to bring you on because, you know, uh, you and I can talk as friends and we can, you know, maybe have some conversations that I wouldn't normally have with people I don't spend a lot of time with. And uh, again, uh, you know, we've, we've had some questions come in from people who listen to the podcast and, and follow us on social media. Uh, maybe some different stories that we haven't talked about yet on all of these podcasts. So you have a list of questions there. I'm going to let you go. And then yeah, yeah. Just you, you got this some episode gr- takes us. Yeah. There's some great questions that came in. So I'll start off with this one. So David yeah. Ng, um, he asked this touring life. Okay. What's the daily grind? Like what's the schedule? Like what is touring really like, you know, everybody, you know, has this lofty uh-huh. vision, but I think he uses the right word grind <laughs> because yeah, everybody is. has this lofty vision of, Oh, well, you're in all these amazing hotels and you're, traveling and you're seeing the world, but get down to the nitty gritty. What is it really like? Yeah. So one thing we always used to say was you get to see two hours out of our day. You don't see the other 22 mm-hmm. and it is, I mean, it's, it, it can be a fairy tale existence for a little while. I mean, you know, Michael, as well as I do, a lot of these young musicians that we get to work with and, and we come across their dream is to get on a tour. Their dream is to get on a tour bus, go out with a band, become an artist themselves and tour the country. And again, you see these highlight reels of, you know, what, what, what it must be like out on the road with 
with adoring fans and packed out houses and uh you know you just you're playing all these songs that are number one on the radio and they're you know for some musicians we do attain that to an extent but you know there's a tuesday night somewhere almost every week in a place where nobody shows up and you string enough of those together and it does become a grind so uh, for me you know uh, the good news for for me and for you know guys like mark and marty and kirk was when we started out in truth you're never guaranteed anything the only thing you're guaranteed is a place to sing every night and so you're on a bus with 22 other people you're going from city to city to city there were back in our day there were no cell phones no laptops no kindles you know uh mm-hmm. you know i had a I, I i toured with a briefcase a suitcase and a and a hang-up bag that was that's everything i owned in the whole world and went out on the road for you know 360 days a year it felt like so you know three and a half years of that really set us up for understanding what the road was going to be so when for him came along and things were maybe a little bit easier than you know having to tour with Mm -hmm. 22 other people we were prepared for that but the grind is real and you can speak to this too because you did it as well but um you know, living out of a suitcase, um, living on a bus that just doesn't smell great all the time that, um, you know, if you're not used to sleeping in a bunk on those things, they can be, that can be a pretty difficult existence. And then when we started having families, that's when, to me, that's when it really got difficult. And I think there's some other questions related to that that we'll talk about here in a minute. But, um, you know, now that I have a wife and kids at home, having to leave and leave for long periods of time, that was really, really difficult. And that, that started to wear on me. And I know the other guys did emotionally mm-hmm. uh, and spiritually as well. I remember there were times I would wake up in the middle of the night, just with this terrible thought that something was happening, something bad was happening to my family. Mm. And I would literally just have to start praying, God, I know this is not from you. I'm sure they're okay, but man, they're, they're, 1500 miles away right now and i couldn't get to him if i you know if i had a my own plane i couldn't get to him in time if something was happening so there were those things that would creep into at least Mm -hmm. i can speak for myself that would creep into my life just going oh this is this is the weight that you carry when you've got a family and you're on the road and you know there came a time when you know i would i would i would leave my house to go to the airport and just go i really don't want to go I don't care. I don't care who I'm touring with. I don't care how many people are going to be there, how much money I'm going to make. I don't want to leave right now because I'm going to miss my son's t-ball game. I'm going to miss my daughter's dance recital. Oh, and it's our 10th wedding anniversary. I'm going to miss that. And you, you just start to having to go through this thing of weighing, is it worth it? You know? There's a yeah. lot of significant sacrifice that comes along, isn't there, that yeah. I think a lot of people don't know. Do you think in, in your time of touring um not only you guys but all the friends that you've toured with and seen through the years that some maybe some are graced them and their families are graced with an ability um a strength an ability to do those kinds of things yeah i I know for for leah and i we we got about five years in and we just looked at each other and go i think that was a large part of our calling to the local church was like we're we're not graced to do this yeah you know, nonstop. I have great friends. We all do like 
you know, for King and Country guys. I love Joel and Luke, and they bring their families a lot. And it's 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 a thing that they've decided that they're going to do, and it requires a whole lot more logistics. And how do you do that with yeah. lots of kids and all that kind of stuff? But I, I'm just I'm I'm curious. I'm sure you saw you know some of that. How guys yeah, well, of that. course. I mean, and let's be let's be just totally real here. When you have a level of success that can afford you a nicer mode of transportation, right? Um, you have, you get nicer buses. You can, you don't have to do as many shows a year than when you're in that grind. And, and I travel with a lot of artists who never, they just never got their footing on Christian radio, you know? So there was always this, you know, there's this grind for them trying to get noticed, trying to, trying to get some momentum in their career. Because then when you headline your own career, well, you make more money and, it's just that it's, it's an easier existence. You, you know, again, it's just like any business, the more successful you get, the better people you can hire, you know, and then it just goes from there. And, uh, I always felt just, just terrible for, for bands who didn't make it and who, you know, who are, who almost made it. And then mm-hmm. something happened and, you know, they lost their record deal or they, you know, I get a lot of Jay Marcus, you know, who I've had on the pod from Rascal Flats and, mm-hmm. you know, they had some radio hits. Uh, when, when he was with uh, his band East to West, it was on our label and they had some radio hits and, and, you know, they were great in concert, but they just couldn't get over that hump of success to be another a band who could go headline a, a tour and make significant amount of money so that they could spend more time with their family and, and not have to do as many shows a year. So, you know, uh, there is that ebb and flow of this career. So you do have to be graced for it, but you also have to, you know, you have to have some success or else you're just kind of stuck in that, you know, in that, mm-hmm. that middle ground where now it's tough. Now you really have to decide every week. I still want to do this. You know, is this yeah. worth it to me and my family? And well, uh, and you guys did how many thousands of shows before you were for him? So oh yeah, we did you, a thousand shows, you know, th- I was going to say yeah. a thousand mm-hmm. shows. So yeah. you did a thousand shows and then you, you came out of the gate with a mega hit. Right. When you started where yeah. there is faith and yes, so I, I can see where, but you laid the foundation of a thousand shows. Like yeah. that's that, that, that you were worthy to carry a song. Yeah. Well, you figure some things out. See, that's the thing is if you can do a thousand shows and still have some momentum and still love what you do, really just like any business, it's about problem solving. You know, mm-hmm. you got to figure out how do I survive, how do I survive this and still love it? But then also, how do I, you, you develop a skill set of how to get from one place to the next, how to treat your body, how to, how to keep your relationship strong at home, how to not want to kill each other, you know, yeah. how to, yeah. you know, how to deal with interpersonal conflicts and how to deal with their label and how to deal with a manager. And a lot of, a lot of bands go through different, a lot of different road managers, just trying to find somebody. Thank God we had Mike Quistad mm-hmm. for years and years and years because it was a perfect match for us. And you know, those are the things that, again, all those things have to happen in, you know, in, in a pretty quick amount of time for you to really enjoy being out on the road. Otherwise, it is a grind. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right, let's go to another question. Um, so Glenn Wenzel, I love this question. What was the most embarrassing moment you had on stage? <laughs> had a bunch. I, I definitely I, had a bunch. Uh, give, me, give us a couple good yeah, ones. Yeah, and if you have one here on your own, too, I'd love to hear some of yours. But um, uh, embarrassing, you know, there was a, uh, the first real embarrassing moment I had was when I was in truth and I had to learn like 
a book of 50 songs before they would ever let me on stage. I was, I was, I was uh, replacing Mike Eldred, who was just a beloved member of the group. And I took over a lot of his songs and, but you had to learn all the background parts, all the songs and Roger Breland would call a different show every night. So it could be, you know, you'd have seven or eight of the same songs, but we'd do a 25 song set. And in 15 of those songs, it'd be something we hadn't done in a month. He would just call them on a whim and go, Hey, I want to do that one. I want to do that one. And uh, he would call them in the moment. So you had to be prepared with like 50 different songs in your back pocket and do them well. And there were two songs that sounded very similar to me. Uh, there was a song called a new heart, which I sang the lead on. And then there was another one and I can't remember the name, but Mark would remember it, but it had a similar feel to it. And he led it. And on, in truth, we would sit on stools and, it, and, and between songs, you'd go back, sit on the stool. And then a song would start and the leader of that song would kind of walk forward with their microphone. So this song, uh, maybe it's, do they know, can they see, uh, it starts and I get up and start walking towards the middle. And about halfway through the intro, I hear behind me, Andy, this is not your song. Sit down. <laughs> and I had to turn around, walk back to my seat. Mark gets up and sings a song. And of course, for, for months after that, I would have oh, somebody yeah. sitting next to me going, this is not your song, Andy. You can just oh, stay yeah. right here. Hey, Andy, this one's yours. <laughs> so Go great. Right now. So that was embarrassing. Um, you know, I had one night in Cincinnati that I'll never forget that I lost my voice really bad. And we had two shows that night two packed out shows and I couldn't get one note out. And I see a lot of people come up to me um, and say, Oh, I, yeah, I was at that show when you couldn't sing and it sounded terrible. Wow. And that rarely happened to you, right? I mean, like, Rare, you, Oh yeah. I was going to say, like, I don't think maybe count on one hand, the time amount of times in all your whole career. But how about one happened. finger? I literally one, finger. one time. Wow. Cincinnati. That was yep. the city. But okay. it, of course it couldn't be one of those Tuesday nights where there were only, you know, a thousand people showing up. I mean, this is like, you know, 12,000 people over two shows and yeah, it wasn't happening. So did the guys was, cover you. How did, how did you do that? I mean, well, no, I mean, sing or no, you just kind of had to go for it. Good. Just I, had to sing, for it. I had to sing where there's, you know, you do a, a four yeah. show, you got to sing where there's faith and for future generations and, and a man you'd write about and measure of a man. I mean, those are Chisel staples of the night. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> I mean it, those are the ones you had to do because they're big radio hits and you got to give people their money's worth. And yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Just gutted them out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say the craziest thing that I've ever seen was that, uh, we were in, this was in truth. We were in Chico, California at a church and, uh, packed out show in between songs, a dude walked down the aisle just in his underwear. Okay. And sat on the front of the stage <laughs> and started shouting, somebody tell me about God. I'm an alien. I want to know about God. And the, 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 the staff thought it was part of our act because just before that we had done a song that was kind of a country gospel tune that we did every, every night. And then Mark said, now we're going to do something for the kids. And it was going to be a song that had a rap in it. And so they thought this was part of it. And so this guy sits on the stage for a good minute (laughs) and a half. And we're like, we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know. Obviously he's not carrying a gun because he's got nowhere to put it. So You know, that wasn't going to be a problem, but yeah, uh, oh, we've seen unreal. some crazy things like that. So embarrassing. Man, I, could, I, yeah. I mean, embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, embarrassing. I, I can tell you one of mine, like, yeah, like let me hear it. I, I've got several, I, you know, several, um, this is going to make every performer and worship leader feel good out there <laughs> because 
<laughs> I was leading for a conference early on in my career. It's probably 2,500 people there, the leadership conference. And so the front row is all the, the, you know, at the time, all the, you know, large church pastors, the Bill Hybels and Rick Warren and John Maxwell, all these guys, they're all on the front row. And I wanted so bad, you know, Paul Blosh calls it to bring the ta-da. Like I wanted yeah. to bring a ta-da moment. I wanted to say something <laughs> awesome and creative. And, uh, you know, the, I let the pad, you know, the, the, the pad behind, you know, the lights kind of come down. It's a real moment, power the pause, you know, and I was getting ready, this will date it. I was getting ready to lead the song, God of Wonders. Oh, wow. God of Wonders Beyond Our mm -hmm. Galaxy, right? You know? Yeah. And I was wanting to talk about the creativity of God and what I wanted to say was, you know, there's only a few things that God cannot do. And one of them is, is he cannot learn. He knows all things simultaneously. He is outside of time and space. I he know is where this sovereign, is going. Right? That's what I wanted to say. I mean, I mean, I got really like, just in, oh, I was just feeling it, you know, church, you know, church, I lean in, I strum and I go, God knows nothing. <laughs> and I kind of sat there and I was like, that didn't come out right, you know? And I looked down at the front row and they're all kind of like, you know, they're kind of <laughs> looking at me like, hey, where's this going, buddy? Look at him up there. And I could just feel my toes, you know, just curl into the yeah. stage. And I started to sweat and my life flashed right. You could I feel the tumbleweed, the pump tumbleweed yeah, yeah. to float across. I said it stage. again in my nervousness, like, God knows nothing. You know, God, you know, I just like, like, that's, that's not what I meant to say. <laughs> somebody, somebody <laughs> saved me. And then, and then I uh, kind of bailed it out and I went, but everything. And I kind of stared at the camera, you know, and the guys had this footage and like this, they're zooming in on, it was uh, just atrocious. Same conference. I got a lozenge stuck in my throat and had to leave the stage. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. I, that, I'm, it's what a night. I'm still in this calling. I mean, that That's would, incredible. that one could have ended me. I could, I could go on. There's been a few of those. Ones. Well, my okay. Achilles, my Achilles heel is, is lyrics. I screw up lyrics all the time. I, I don't think I've ever said anything that was just like, you know, people are gasping, but I just, I can't keep lyrics in my head. It's just not a gift that I have. And even for him songs, I mean, I remember, I think the, it was the real thing was one that every night I started blanking on for like four nights in a row on tour. I just blanked. Like it was like somebody took an eraser and erased those lyrics out of my memory banks. And the more I thought about it, the more I panicked about it, the worse it got. And it was about, it was about four straight nights. And I still, to this day, we'll sing that song every once in a while. And I still get a little bit of a panic inside going, oh, I don't know what that second verse is. I can't think, I can't, I can't think about it. I can't I think. I used to hate that feeling. Like yeah. Before there were confidence monitors, you know, mm -hmm. now like everywhere you go, it's like right. somebody's plastered it on the back wall, yeah. which is fantastic. But well, one thing I, I had to learn, that. one thing I had to learn was I trust myself, trust my brain. Yeah. trust my instincts and that's how i got over it i had to i had to convince myself you know this it will flow out as soon as you get up there and start singing don't panic and panic is i think one of the one of the biggest enemies of a performer yeah is if you overthink it and you and i both we talk to artists all the time and coach them uh is you know you, one of the things you have to teach these young artists is don't panic mm -hmm. you got this you just go be you relax. If you mess up, no, no biggie. Just don't panic because when you panic, you start to make dumb decisions and, or you say things you shouldn't say, or you, you know, 
that kind of stuff just kind of happens. You say God knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say when you panic. <laughs> yeah, you got to like reset your brain. You're, you know, you retrench those neural pathways because yeah. you start and you'll do it over and over. I mean, I did as a young person, you know, mm-hmm. when you, and uh, yeah. Well, the longer get, you do this, how many songs do we have in our, in our repertoire now? I mean, it's, totally. yeah, I was just from and, and, truth and, and for him and, and now all of the worship songs and they're, you know, oh, well, yeah. And, and as a writer, I mean, I've written a lot, lots of songs through the years. Yeah. And I'll go to a place and they'll want me to sing a particular song or two that they've heard. And, and I go, and I go, hey, you guys got that on the monitors? <laughs> <laughs> and they're oh, yeah. like, you wrote it. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't go anywhere without lyrics anymore. I don't trust myself. <laughs> All right. Let's go to another question. You ready? Okay. Yep. All right. Um, I love this one. Okay. Would love to hear. This is from Brian Dollar. Would love to hear what your top five vocalists and or bands are of the golden era. You know, this is oh, like wow. your Mount Rushmore, but one more, you know, mm-hmm. five of your top five, just pure so, vocalists. So Three. we're talking about, we're talking about Christian music, golden era. Golden era. Music. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. So. Okay. So I, I could run through this list pretty quick. And, you know, if, if I were to put a ton of thought to it, this might change, but off the top of my head, I'm going to have to go number one, Michael English. 100%. Yeah. I, there's I'm just totally never good. been before or since has there been a voice like that. And I just having, the, having the, the honor of touring with him for a few years and getting to know him and uh, man, just every night you just, you, we would just sit backstage and just like, wow, you just, the, there was an anointing on his voice. And there's just a few times that the anointing and the skill match up at such a, a level that you know the old adage of you could sing the phone book and it would bring people to yep. tears and that yep. was michael so I, he'd be number one i think just head and shoulders and number two would be rush taff i think i think oh yeah you can't i don't even think christian music exists without rush taff he he just was such a unique passionate powerhouse voice that again the emotion that would come through when he would sing that you would listen to anything he would do. I mean, he, I, I, I would always try to wrap my mind around what he did and I still can't to this day. So I think, I think Russ yeah. has to be number two. I would, I'm put, with you. We're two for two. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I would put, man, I'd put clay cross number three. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Clay was just unique. There was nobody like him. Yeah. He had yeah. that, he kind of had that blue eyed soul voice, mm-hmm. but yet it had a power to it and a, and a grit to it. And I was always just in awe of him because we toured with him quite a bit, how he could do it just by himself every night. I was like, I don't know how you do it. I, I feel like I have a really strong, powerful voice, but I don't have to sing every song every night. You know, mm, I can lay yeah. back on some BGVs or I can go, you know, drink a glass of water while somebody else takes it for a little bit. I get some relief and I don't have to sing everything, but man, Clay would go out there night after night after night and just, and his records got better and better and better vocally. And I, I tell yeah. him this day, man, he's one of my vocal heroes. I just think he was fantastic. Love it. Uh, Ron Hemby comes to mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ron, he mm-hmm. spent some time in the Imperials, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And I, you know, between him and Paul Smith, I would give the, I love Paul. I think Paul's got a great, unique, powerful voice. Uh, and I think we, we pick people we hear ourselves in, you know, 
mm-hmm. and that we go, okay, you know, I could probably sing that. I could probably do that. But going all the way back to that, um, this year's model record uh-huh. with the Imperials, wasn't that yeah. just, wasn't that just a life crazy record? Crazy good. I crazy still listen good. to it. I still listen to that record probably once a month. And Ron's vocal is just incredible. It, it's a little, it's almost a blend of Paul Smith and, and uh, Russ Taft. Yeah, yeah, I could hear that. And, you know, a funny story. I did a television special years ago for PAX Television um, out of my home church down there. It was for Easter. It was a music special. And I had a full band. Tom Hemby played on it and helped produce guitar. And, oh, wow. You know, and, and Ron was down there in South Florida at the time. And I got him to come sing background. So I had him with two or three other people singing backgrounds, right? Yeah, and I'm out there doing my thing, singing my songs or whatever, and he sound checks, and I just, I just kind of went, yeah, what am I doing? Like, you, <laughs> it was a, it was a grown up voice. That's the yeah, thing. Man. It just sounded like he could have been singing for Chicago, or yep, Toto, yep. or it, it reminded me like a like Sting meets like uh, Brian Adams meets. Um, Eagles, you know, I mean, it's just like he had the, the trash, the character on his voice, but he had range for days. And it's just like, ah, uh, there's just stories in his voice. I, I'm a big Ron Hemby. And fan. I think he's doing some new music now. Uh, there's a band that's got him and Dan Hasseltine, oh, yeah. Billy Smiley. Uh, who else is in that band? I, that's some stuff I can't wait to hear. Yeah. I'm glad he's still doing what he's doing. Uh, and then, man, five for me is always tough. Uh, because I, I feel like, you know, I have my Mount Rushmore of my top four, but five, I would, I might go with Brian Duncan. All right. Brian, yeah. Brian, again, was just so unique. He had that, that really high voice, but it was really beautiful when it got high and mm-hmm. thin, which is really hard to do. You know, and it really pushes from this chest and his, that, that little area. I like to call mm-hmm. the transfer area between the chest and the throat. He really was able to use that little motor so well, even live, to where I'm like, this is such a golden voice. Mm, and everything yeah. he did, I was just such a fan of. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you on that. Okay, just throw out a couple honorable mentions, because okay. I've, I've got a few. Like, I'm listening to you, and I'm kind of going, yeah. man, I was a big Bob Carlisle fan. Now, I know. Oh, gosh. I mean. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that voice, that allies thing, and then uh-huh. when he went on to do his own stuff, that just. It, that trash on the chords that's just God given that, yep. you know, it's just, yeah. but control for days. I loved him. Matthew Ward's another one that's oh, like, Oh gosh, I can't forget Matthew. I just like, could never do what Matthew could do. I, I love listening I know, to him. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I feel like about you. You have, oh, I, whatever. Can't, I, can't, I can't do what you do. No, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'll, I mean, I know we're buds, but seriously, you're on, you're, you, you got to be on this thing because. It's so your voice is so identifiable and such so artistic and so you. There's nobody else that sounds like you. That's what's so brilliant to me. Huh. It's like it's iconic. Like there's other guys that you could kind of go, oh, that's that's a blend. Most of these guys, you've you know, you've you've I'm I'm in agreement. But I would just say you're you're right up there. I also think about some of the the traditional like CCM voices like Larnell. Oh like, man. Steve yeah. Green, now shout out to Travis yeah. Cottrell. I know you were listening yeah. to Larnell and Steve back in yeah. the day. <laughs> he was. And Travis were kind of those like CCM uh-huh. nerds that, you know, we tra- I yeah. trained classically. I wanted to sound like, you know, Steve and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, get that frown and the, get the thing yeah. going with he holds the keys <laughs> and all that. And Larnell yeah. holds your mic about 
over in another yeah. zip code while you <laughs> Yeah, the one thing you, you teach vocalists don't do, get into the mic. But Larnell, man, that was his thing. I, I always <laughs> love watching him sing. Great golfer, anyway. too. Man, Larnell's a great golfer. Love mm-hmm. playing golf with him. Uh, I, you know, we can't forget Guy Penrod. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. just, you know, I think it was probably one of the great voices in all of Southern gospel. Still is. Um, yeah, we're going to forget. John Gibson, I used to love him. Mm-hmm. I thought oh, his yeah. voice was so unique and very cool. Uh, yeah, this is, I think we could spend a whole podcast just I could, I could. going through I mean, male just, vocalists. When you said Michael English, I remember it was 1993. I was in, in an auditorium in Springfield, Missouri, and he came through with the Gaithers and he sang. Uh, then he bowed his head and died. And yeah. then he did. Um, uh, midnight uh, cry and then he cry. did yeah. you know and you're just going down my battle my knees and i just was yeah. like what is happening like mm-hmm. i just you know you're, you're like that's another level another yeah level. you know and those kind of singers too i think one of the gifts that they give their listener is you never worry that they're not going to get there you know after the first few minutes of hearing them you're kind of you can kind of sit back and go oh yeah this is going to be good because you don't get that with every singer you know even even some pop singers that I've gone to their shows, you know, I'll get a couple songs in and go, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to do this all night. I don't know if they're going to be able, you know, to satisfy, you know, that, that my ear and my emotion as I hear them sing. But mm. somebody like Michael English, again, Clay Cross, guys that I toured with and, you know, watched them every night and just go, yeah, that they got it. It's, I'm just going to, you know, as a, again, as a musician, you worry about, and it's kind of mm. weird, you know, my, my wife doesn't feel this way, but I feel it when I hear other people sing, I kind of worry about, I don't know, know they're going to, Oh, I hear some, I hear some issues there. That's going to be a problem when they hit that part of the song. Yeah. Those guys, for the guys on this list, you just never, you just never worried. They were always going to get there. Wow. Wow. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to a couple more questions. Okay. We got time here. Uh, Michael Janke. Um, he asks, what's a favorite for him album, album cover? Do you have a favorite, (laughs) favorite album cover and your least favorite? Okay. So I'm going to say my favorite album cover is the hymns record. Oh yeah. Which is crazy because our pictures aren't on it. Yeah. And I was always like, why we have every album cover had to have the four of our faces on the front of it. (laughs) I'm like, why all of the great DC talk, Jesus freak didn't have their pictures on it. Um, man, I think of. I think of so many records during that time and then even the great pop records of all time. So many of them didn't have the band's yeah, faces is on interesting. it. Yeah, they had you guys, what you guys were so, so darn good looking. I mean, they just well, were like, this is that, the money. This is, this is the ticket. Uh, this is what's going to sell. Yeah. <laughs> These CDs Our are going to But <laughs> I was just kind of like, I just, I don't know. To me, after so many albums of the same, it was just a different, way of putting the four of us together. I mean, I'm looking around at all, I've got all my albums on the walls and all of our number one plaques and every one of them is just a different arrangement of our bodies and faces. And just like <laughs> there, we could have done so much more creatively. That's why I think I really loved the hymns record because it was just a really beautiful cover. Uh, now my least favorite. Hmm. I mean, I don't know that I have a least favorite. Uh, well, I do. Okay, it's the uh, the um, the visible record, visible yeah, or obvious? No, obvious. Time. No, obvious. Okay. It's the obvious record. And here's why: 
I feel like I had a really cool haircut during that time. This is like, I don't know, what, 98, I think. And I had uh, my hair finally got long enough where it kind of came down like that just a little bit. I wasn't, I wasn't hot ironing it. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't doing anything <laughs> crazy like that. But I thought it looked really cool. And so in the, in the picture that we ended up using, we're all sitting in chairs across the front. Again, another combination of the four of us there together. And when I got the final album cover back, they had, they had somehow digitally cropped my hair right here. And it doesn't look natural. In fact, I'm looking at it right now going, my hair doesn't look, I look like a goob, man. <laughs> my hair does not look natural. And yeah, so that, that's probably my least favorite, the visible album. No, sorry. I keep saying, I get those mixed up. The obvious album is probably my least favorite album. Obvious. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I liked, uh, I liked basics. That was always my favorite. I I really liked that cover. Mm. I don't, for what, for whatever reason, that one stuck with me. The, the, the graphic design on the front. I'm looking at that right now. A lot of people thought the little kid in Mm -hmm. the, in the, in the background was my son Lucas because that came out. He was the first of all the kids born to the group. Okay. And, and that was kind of a, you know, it was, it was part of our story and a lot of the press releases and stuff. And so that record came out right after he was born, but that's actually the photographer's son. Um, uh, shoot. And I'm going to be in trouble for not remembering his name, but that wasn't Ben Pearson, was it? No, it wasn't Ben Pearson. Um, Anyway, well, I'll, maybe I'll figure it out before All right. the end of the podcast. All right. Uh, another couple of questions got? here. Let's see here. I, I think this is a fun one. Who, uh, who was your biggest, what was your biggest, like, I am your biggest fan moment. Like you got to see somebody, meet somebody, be on stage with mm. somebody. Uh, this, I'm your biggest fan moment, you know, earlier in your career. Um, I would say that when I, think about that question the first person that pops in my mind is is george beverly shea i got to meet Bev shea um we were doing it was like a christian booksellers event in denver and there was this big multi-artist thing at one of the arenas there and we went in for our sound check and we knew that bev shea was going to be singing and we walked into it wasn't really a dressing room it was kind of like a locker room area nice locker room area and he was sitting by himself, just right over in the corner, like maybe reading a book or listening to a song or something. And Marty and I were the first ones in the room. And we both walked over to him. And, and he was so kind to us, so nice. I mean, we must have sat and talked to him for 20 minutes, just shared a lot of his story with us. And I'm just like, I'm in awe because, you know, guys our age, mm-hmm. that George Beverly Shea is, is the OG. I mean, he is mm-hmm. kind of that first. Christian artist that we all remember. And he was just, again, just being so wonderful and so nice. And that was, that was, that was really cool. I think meeting Amy Grant for the first time we were recording, uh, which record was it? Um, I think we were recording the message. Yeah. Cause it was our first one with Michael Marty and, uh, Omar was using her studio, the barn out on yeah. her property. And we had not met her yet. And, uh, I'll never forget. I was my, uh, Jackie and Lucas had come um, out to spend a few days with us. My wife, Jackie, my son, Lucas and Lucas and I were playing catch outside after a, 
after we were doing some takes. And here comes Amy just walking up. And uh, when we talked for a little bit, she was so nice and so kind. I'll never forget, like years later, we didn't spend a lot, a lot of time with her. But years later, we were opening for her for a couple of shows. And when we first saw her again, she walked up and remembered Lucas's name. She remembered my wife's name. She remembered that scene. And I was just like, I was so impressed by her. And to this day, still am when I, when I run across her, just so impressed with who she is and just so wonderful to, to, you know, kind of have, you know, been around in those days when, when, you know, her career was so big. And, um, so that was really cool. Uh, and we, we never really shared the stage with any big secular acts. I remember, I remember one time I, after I'd moved to, after I'd moved to Tulsa to become worship pastor church on the move, I got a call from a friend of mine, Eddie Anders. Eddie's a former truth member and he's an incredible keyboard player and plays with all these house bands, like for a lot of really big artists. And so he was, he and his band were the house band for the James Burton music festival that was going to be in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, Shreveport and Monroe. And if you don't know who James Burton is, James was Elvis's guitar player for years and years. And he had a guitar festival every year in his hometown. And so, I mean, this year it was like going to be Al DiMiola and Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Steve Lukather was going to be there with his band that Lukather from Toto. And, you know, I was a big Toto fan growing up, still am. So Lukather was just like this mind blowing person to me. And, uh, but, but James wanted a Christian artist to be represented because he was a Christian. His whole family were Christians. And, he wanted the Christian artist to come be one of the artists for the festival. So Eddie calls me. He's like, I know you're just a few hour drive away. Why don't you come down? I think it'd be great. And sing a couple of your songs. You'll need to sing a, you know, you'll, you'll need to sing a, an Elvis tune and, and then just kind of be part of the, the groups that come out on stage and sing each other's songs. Like, that'd be really cool. So I go in for my sound check, which was late one night, like, like 10 PM of the night before. and. As I walk in, Lukather was was finishing up his sound check with his band, mm. and as I as I went to kind of approach the stage, his manager came and like, no sir, you, this is closed. I'm gonna need you to turn around and walk out, and they ushered me out. So I'm like, I just wanted to meet Steve Lukather, man. So anyway, they finish. They, he packs up his gear. They take off. I walk on the stage, and we start running where there is faith, and. They are just about out the door and, and Lukather turns around and comes back in the auditorium and starts walking up front as I'm singing where there's faith. And after we finished, he just goes, he goes, what is that song? I've never heard anything like that before. Like it, it, it touched him somehow. Wow. And he said, can I get up and jam with you guys for the rest of your sound check? We went, (laughs) yes, you sure can. Yeah. So he did. I got to jam. I got to That's jam with incredible. Steve Luke there. Man, he he jumped on my song Believe and played with us and you know, played on our Elvis tune. And it was what that was moment. one of those things where it was like, that's one of the coolest moments I've ever had as a musician. What a moment. What so, a moment. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I I mean, not that anybody cares, but um I care. my biggest fan moment, I would say probably uh Smitty. Like for yeah. me, I had gone to all those night of joys back in the nineties and seen, you know, every record from, from when I was 14 or 15 and 
getting to actually connect with him and later on and and um write songs with him and then be wow. on the stage with him and it was really yeah. two of my heroes actually him and paul balash paul paul is like my worship pastor worship mm. leading hero you know and yeah we've since become many you know friends for years but i got in, invited into a conference i was new to the integrity worship family there and and paul came walking up to me walking up to me which i was like terrified you know and he he said hey man and I've just been listening to your stuff and I just love your songs. Would you write songs with me sometime? Wow. And I was like, uh, yeah, um, let me pray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you kidding me? And he, he sure did. And I got to actually start writing with him. We've written many times since, but we got to start writing him. And the place we met up was in the museum at the Cove, Billy Graham's the Cove. And there's a place in one of the chapels there where one of his pulpits sits. And we sat yeah. there and wrote our first, the first song I got to write with Paul Balash at Billy Graham's pulpit there in the Cove. And I just thought, okay, I'm good now. But anyway, we joined up on a project later on and those two were leading worship with me on a, on a platform. And I just, uh, wow. I was like, okay, man, this is, this is good. God's good. It's incredible. It is, <laughs> yeah. I, it is such a real cool thing to get to not only meet your heroes, but end up working with them. And calling them your friends. I mean, it, it really does. It is a really cool thing. And, you know, I've, you hear the phrase, don't meet your heroes. And, you know, a lot of times it's really true. But um, I can't think of many in the Christian world that I've met where I was just like, oh, I, yeah, I'm really disappointed. Everybody really was who I thought they were going to be. And Smitty's that way. Smitty, yeah. Smitty oh. Amy, you know, uh, Stephen Curtis. Um, so kind. You know, so, so they're so kind and so genuine and uh, you know i'm sure a lot of that is christ in our hearts you know we're you boil it all down we're we're brothers and sisters in christ so there shouldn't be any weirdness there or yep. yeah yeah i remember right. meeting i remember meeting smitty for the first time um he and we were doing a a, tr a truth christmas concert and again as marty and i were on mm -hmm. the bus just by ourselves uh after sound check and there was a knock on the door and it was it was Smitty and Gary Chapman. Oh, wow. And they wanted to talk to Roger, Roger Breland. And so I opened the door and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> they were, apparently they were somewhere, they were down the road um, doing another show. And uh, I'll never forget this, man. He walked on the bus and I said, hi, I'm Andy. And he went, hi, I'm Mike. Nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know who you are. But exactly. do, you know what, do you know what an impact that made on me? Yeah. That somebody like Michael W. Smith would introduce himself like I didn't know who he was. And Same. I yes. do, you know, I carry that with me today. I don't assume anybody knows who I am. I don't care if they've got their For Him album with their marker, want me to have an autograph. Yeah. And they'll say, will you please sign this for me? I'll ask them their name. When they tell me their name, I'll say, well, I'm Andy. Nice to meet you. And I've taken that from Smitty and I did that made a world, yeah. a world of difference and a big impact in my life at a young, as a young man. Yeah. He did the same thing to me. The first time I met him, he said, Hey, I'm Mike Smith. And I went, I know <laughs> <laughs> we all know. Yeah, Thank I'm pretty you, sure though. I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. It's so great. Well, man, um, I'm looking, um, at our questions here. And, 
you know, there's there's one or two left. I thought, you know, we touched on it earlier, but Jennifer Eckert, uh, she touches on this. Uh, what was it like trying to rush home to be with Jackie when your kids were born? Like oh managing the tension what, or, or was there like a, a specific like, oh my gosh, I have to get home now. This is happening. I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah, well, it's a very interesting story. Both times have two children. And, um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> a lot of our kids have birthdays around the same times a year because, you know, obviously we were not touring at that time. We were home. <laughs> and so those dates line up, you know, pretty similarly. But uh, yeah, I remember with Lucas, our first, uh, we had only been on the road for a couple of years. And uh, Jackie had gone to the doctor and he said, yeah, you're a good three weeks from from being ready to deliver. And I had a, I had a little West Coast run. We lived in Mobile, Alabama at the time. So if you know your U.S. geography, Mobile, Alabama and Los Angeles are not close to each other. But the doctor said, go ahead, you can go. I don't see any reason why she's going to have this baby early. So I jumped on a plane with for him. We were going to play Knott's Berry Farm on like a Friday night. So we, we flew out on Thursday afternoon. And so this would have been 1990, 1992. And again, before cell phones were readily available, all that kind of stuff. I get off the plane in um, at John Wayne Airport. And if you've watched old movies, you've heard this. this You've heard this before, but I'm walking down the elevator and I hear Andy Chrisman, please pick up white courtesy call for a message. Andy Chrisman, <laughs> please pick up white courtesy call for a message. And we all knew we we're like, oh, no, yep. she's in Jackie's in labor. And sure enough, I found a phone and it was one of our friends who had they they tracked me down at the airport, knew what time I was going to land. And I jumped in a car. We got a rental car, jumped in a car, drove it to LAX about an hour and a half away. I caught a red eye back home and got, got my car at the airport, drove to the hospital. And as I w walked in the door, I think we had two minutes before they put me in scrubs and we went in for the delivery of the baby. And that's wow. how close, that's how close that we caught it. That is about as close as yeah. you get. Yeah. And, the, and then guess what I did after that? <laughs> I got back on a plane and went back out and did the show. Oh my goodness. Which was, was that's what I was gonna say. Did you stay home? Did no. You, no. No. And you know, I, I kind of regret it every day. Uh, wow. but you know, we, we we made the decision together that hey, you know, this was a big date. This is our first kind of, you know, headlining uh, amusement park date where there's gonna be this big crowd and it was a really good opportunity for us. I think our second record had just come out and um, you know. And this was with your firstborn. This is our firstborn. So I didn't get to take him home from her. I didn't take Jackie and Lucas home from the hospital. They were already there and I got back. So I missed a lot. And then um, with our second child, Kaylee was born uh, around the same time in 1995. And the same thing happened. We, wouldn't you know, we had, a, we had a, uh, a West Coast run booked for that week. And the doctor said, Nope, there's no chance at all she's going early this time. So you'd be fine. Go on to go on your on your run. <laughs> Famous last and we word. thought there's no way like it's gonna strike twice, right? Sure enough, I wake up, I, the phone is ringing in my hotel room in Sacramento uh, at around 3 a.m. And again, it's a mutual friend. In fact, I think it was Marty's wife, Sherry, mm. uh, called and said, 
uh, Jackie's in labor. You need to get home. And I couldn't do anything. You know, you talk about the grind. We talked about that earlier, the grind, right? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, at some point you're kind of helpless. You can't, you got to just kind of continue to do what you can do because you can't do anything. I couldn't get home. You know, there was no private jet for me wow. to jump on and get home at 3 a.m. and sac- from Sacramento to, to Tulsa. And so I just remember going to a, I think Mark got up with me. We were rooming together. He got up with me and we went and found like a Denny's and sat and had breakfast and waited till six six thirty until I could get on a flight and got home in time again for her to. So I missed both, you know, uh, she still reminds me of this. I missed both labors. <laughs> I, haven't oh, gone, so I didn't go through goodness. labor with either one of these kids. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so I, uh, but I, I stayed that time. And we were on tour. We were on tour with Clay Cross and Kathy Tricoli. Hmm. And uh, they were begging me to come back out. My phone was ringing every hour. Just going, well, if you, here's a flight. You can get us back. You can get back here for this show. I'm like, guys, I'm not doing it. I'm, wow. I'm staying home now. And we'd had a lot more success by then. I think, you know, yeah. <clears throat> I think the message was out by that point. And, um, or maybe uh, not the message, but the ride was out by that point. And um, I felt like I had a little more cash in my pocket to go no you guys can do it without me so you know i still hear from people they were they call them the they call them the fake for him shows where there are only three of them <laughs> and they're like and mark tried to sing where there's faith and marty tried to sing man, you know, oh, man. and um yeah. but yeah that was it was crazy that that happened on both of them my and goodness. uh so those are those things you know you don't really hear about uh, that artists go through is you know that those are things that Jack and I have to work through. Yeah, that, you know, missing important dates in each other's lives, and and it's really all on me. Is is all about. Um, and I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons. And I think I talked about this on the For Him podcast. It's one of the reasons why I eventually went. You know what? I think I'm done doing this yeah. uh, because I'm kind of tired of missing these big moments in my family's lives, or at least having a schedule around them. And you know. There's a big part of what we do. You're not really in charge of the yeah. schedule. You know, you've got a label, you've got a booking agency, you've got a crew, yeah. you've got a manager, you've got these tours you have to do. You're and employing you, a lot of people. I you're mean, employing a lot, lot of people. people. That's right. Yeah. And if you yeah. say, you know what, I don't want to work this Saturday night because it's my son's fifth birthday. Well, that could be, you know, that could be Dallas, Texas with 20,000 people. And it's the biggest night of the tour. We just don't get that option. And yeah. so that, that is one of the big drawbacks of, mm-hmm. of the touring life. It's, you know, those things that, that most people don't even think about when they get into it. Yeah. There's, there's a, just always trade-offs, isn't yeah. there? And, yeah. and whatever, whatever we do, you're, you're, you're choosing which thing you're going to say no to. Yeah. You know, which yeah. thing you're going to say yes to. That's right. So, that's right. Wow. That's so, amazing. What else you got there? Well, um, this is an interesting one from Toby Ross. He wants to hear how each album came together, the writing, the lead vocalists. And I know uh, it would be interesting, really interesting to hear a little bit about how those choices were made, like how the songs Mm -hmm. came together, how the choices were made, who provided the direct, hey, this is, you know, this is the thing we're going to go with and we're going to build the record around. And this is the, you know. How did that roll for you guys? So as you can probably guess, the, the more success we had and the more records we did, it cha- that, that, that process changed a lot. That first record, um, I mean, we had, you know, maybe 11, 12 songs come in that were 
kind of bottom of the barrel songs. They weren't going to give us, the publishing companies weren't going to give us their big songs. They were saving those for Sandy Patty and, and Amy and Michael. And, you know, we weren't going to get the people weren't saving their big songs for us. So, you know, we took what we could get. And I think uh, Mark wrote one of the, maybe one song on that first record. And, um, you know, we, we just relied on our A&R director. And I've had that question too, is we'd love to your A&R directors to come on and some of these uh, industry executives come on to talk even more about the inner workings of how they put records together and, and, and stories of the artists. But uh, we really relied on Andy Ivey, our A&R director, to help us find the nine best songs. And we had decided we're four lead vocalists. So everybody's going to have two solos. And then we're all going to take kind of a, an all skate for the ninth song. And mm. so we pretty much did that every record. You know, that was, that was a thought was everybody's going to get an equal share of, you know, getting to lead on the record and have, have, a, have a lead on the record. So that would be, you know, what, you know, we, then we do 10, 11, 12 songs on a record, you know, there would be a lot of co-leads and we would really try to make it, you know, we were really purposeful about making uh, it even for everybody. And we'd sit and listen. And that would probably narrow like the, the real estate, right? Because a great song may become in, but you know, Mark already has his, his two or three songs. Yeah. Mark would probably be best on this song, but it doesn't really sound, it doesn't fit the other guy's voice. All of you singers, you can sing anything, but you know, certain songs fit certain voice. So it narrows the real estate down. I bet. Yeah. That, that happened to Marty and I, because there was a, he was going to sing uh, through his eyes on the basics of life record. And I was going to sing something else. I can't remember what the name of it was. And we found out just before we went into track that tune that the publisher had given it to BB and CC for their record and pulled it from us. And so we still weren't at that stature yet mm-hmm. where we, you know, you know, if a bigger artist came in, you know, sometimes publishers would pull that song because they know they're going to make m- more money especially with artists like BB and CC. So all of a sudden I was without a song. Well, they found another song called take me to the place. <clears throat> and, um, it was like when we sat down and talked about it, we went, oh, you know, Marty actually is more of an R and B kind of a ballad. Marty would sound great on that. Let's put Andy now on through his eyes. And, and that's just the way it worked out. So there was always kind of a, you know, there was a little mm. give and take a little bit of, you know, I'll take yep. this, you do that. But we did. We really tried to listen in probably in those first five or six records to make sure everybody was well represented. Now, as far as songs go, you know, once we had a couple of number one songs on that on that first record, and then especially going into the Face the Nation record, we had three or four number one songs. Um, you know, it it got more and more intense for writers to want to get their songs pitched to us. And then Mark started writing a lot with Dave Clark and Don Cook. And, um, you know, uh, they started to develop a a sound and it kind of started with, he will be there for you. Mm -hmm. And he never changes songs. It really, they started writing for our vocals and having Mark on the inside, he knew how to craft a vocal to where it would sound great with all four of us together. And that kind of became our, our little go-to, you know, at first it was Billy Simon. We relied a lot on Billy Simon where there's faith, man, you'd write about you mentioned chisel meets a stone. Um, there were a bunch of songs that we were like, we sound really good on his stuff. 
But then Mark and Dave and Don, we started sounding really good on their stuff. Of course, Don was producing a lot of it. And so they would start to get the line shares of the cuts on the record. And again, you know, we'd be heading into a, you know, thinking about making another record. And so we would listen to 70, 80, 90 songs mm. that would get pitched to us. And it'd be more and more and more by the time we got to the message. I mean, we're listening to a hundred songs at a mm. time. And of course, you know, Mark's writing 25 songs and Marty gets into it, is writing 25 songs. And, uh, you know, you're starting to have to listen and go, but now, now what do we want this record to be? What do we want it to sound like? You've got, now you've got heavy hitter producers like Michael Amartian, Peter mm-hmm. Wolf, um, uh, you know, uh, later on Mark Heimerman and Brent Bourgeois, um, you know, these guys that Pete Kipley, where you're like, they need certain sounds. Like we want to, we want to set them up to win as well. So it does, it gets, it, it, it's a lot of work, but it's really fun. If it, It's kind of like being a, being an architect or a chemist, you know, you, you kind of get a feel for what things go together yeah. and, and what could be exciting if we put these elements together. So but that's, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know that we really had any themes around records. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think when, when we would get a batch of songs, we would kind of go like for the message. We were kind of mm-hmm. like that, that feels like the, the center of the record. The title cut. Yeah. yeah it right. kind of feels like, Everything else connects back to that song. Yeah. And so we would name the album The Message. Of course, Basics of Life was Basics of Life. You know, it's, it's you know, you're, you're not going to yeah. get around a big hit like that. And so you name the record that. But, um, yeah. yeah. Were there any times where you guys were, like, picking lead vocalists? And, I mean, I, I'm sure you had to rely on your producer. Your producer yeah. would be maybe the Don or whoever, Peter mm-hmm. Wolf or all those guys. They would kind of go, yeah, you you sound the best on this, but do you ever do like shootouts? Like, okay. Oh yeah. All the time. We're all going to sing lead. We're all yeah. going to sing lead on this bad boy. And we're going to see who come, you know, which horse pulls out in front. <laughs> yeah. And I will tell you, I'll be real honest with you. I, I was very sure of myself. I would hear a song and go, I can nail that. I could sound great on that. I think that's a hit song. And I think I hear my vocal on it. And we would all do that. Kirk would do it. Kirk would find three or four songs. He's like, these songs right here. I love that. And I feel I could, yeah. I could really hit that out of the park. Mark would do the same thing. Marty would do the same thing. And then again, you add the producers into it and the producers would go, well, I hear the song going this way. And I really hear Marty taking that, that direction. Or mm-hmm. I really hear Mark taking this direction. And then you would have the label there. The label is yeah. kind of the final, you know, the, the final yep. screen door along right. with checks. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, well, this song was number one on the last record. We want a song just like that with that vocal. You know, they're kind of looking at it going, you guys might want to spread your wings and try something different, but we want to make money, you know, <laughs> which, which works, which worked out well for you since you came out yeah. of the gate with where there's space. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, Hey guys, let's, I mean, let's be real here. I mean, I, you know, let's just go yeah. with uh, what works here. Let's, yeah. But I, I would say I got, <laughs> I'm not going to say cocky, but I got, I mean, maybe I was, but I, I was very, uh, you know, I had a lot of confidence, you know, again, after where there's faith, uh, man, you'd write about future generations, measure of a man. I was just like, give me, give me that song. I can nail that song. But I also, you know, I would, I would listen to songs that really moved me, Mm -hmm. moved my heart. And I'll never forget there, there were two or three songs that, you know, I remember hearing Mark starting to work on and he wasn't so sure about it. Like I remember listening to, 
uh, the song Walk On. Mm. And he was just like, I don't, you know, kind of working on it. I, I just heard the chorus and a couple of the ideas on the verse. This is my memory of it. I remember telling Mark going, that's my song. I, I want that song. That speaks to me. Um, and, and I remember they, they finished it, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, I remember, I remember the, uh, I didn't lead it, but I remember having that idea for the greatest story ever told and just, you know, just what that song could be. And as Mark started to write it, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is, this is where this song needs to go. I think that's one of the, uh, I mean, I don't know if that's one of the questions or not, but. It's kind of one of the hidden gems for me. Yeah, I was uh, on our yeah, albums. Uh, yeah, Dale Best. He was asking about you know the song creation process, but also get into like a favorite deep cut. You know, yeah, like a moment or and I, and it parlays into what I was going to ask you too. Yeah. It's literally like, are there moments songs we didn't we didn't really know that were kind of buried in the projects that yeah. never came out, but that you you connected with really deeply. Like, man, this really hit me. Yeah, hard. I love. Um, well, first of all, shout out to Dale Best, Dale. Uh, when I first started my radio show back in 2006 at uh, Spirit 102.3 in Tulsa, he was on staff there. And oh, yeah. they they assigned him to me to help me develop my show. So Dale and I worked closely with each other for several years before he moved on to do some other things. And so, Dale, it's good to hear from you, buddy. Um, uh, yeah, so greatest story ever told. You know, I so I'll tell you this. Uh, a while back, I think it was when my first grandson was born, my daughter's first son was born, my grandson, uh, Sutherland. She was living in Albuquerque at the time. So Jackie, my wife, flew down for, you know, a couple of weeks to be with her when she knew she's, you know, pretty, pretty sure she's going to go into labor in the next couple of weeks. And as soon as Sutherland was born, I drove down and spent three or four days. And then I drove back by myself. And Albuquerque to Tulsa was about 10, it's about 10 hours, good 10 to 11 hours. And I listened to our catalog front to back, started with the first album, went all the way through our encore album. And I would text the guys or call them between songs and just go, oh my gosh, like stuff like I forgot about this song. Mm. Wow. What a great moment. Uh, you know what? That one, we missed that one. Yeah, we missed it on that one. Or, <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> uh, yeah, what were we thinking on that one? But I, I, I really remember having these vivid memories of, of getting to songs like Greatest Story Ever Told and literally like tears coming down my face mm. because it moved me. Even years and years afterwards, that song moves me and it's things I'm passionate about. And I, like, I hear the vision in it. I'm like, oh, we got there. Mm. We got there in that song. A Chisel Meets a Stone. Mm-hmm. is one that it will always be specially is one of my dad's favorite songs and it was never a single but i don't think we even did it that much in concert but you know it's still uh it's still a beautiful one a mystery of grace mm. is one that i go back and listen to uh, and i know these are all songs that i kind of led on except for greatest story ever told um i think one of my favorite vocals that i've ever done is called the waiting mm. it's on the walk on album when you're waiting through the hard times, hold on, don't let go. That's right. Yeah. And there's some of those themes that come up in my life even today where that song will, will kind of pop out of my heart and it'll bring me comfort. Mm. And that's one song I'll kind of just go back and listen to and it actually ministers to me. Um, 
there's a song Kirk did, I think, on the Ace Nation record called Every Reason to Believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Thurman wrote it. And uh, yeah, that was always a lot of fun. And I think, I remember, I remember telling the guys this. To me, the, the most complete song that I, I just listened to and go, we did that, is a song. It was on the, the Ride album produced by Michael Amartian, um, Nature of Love. Oh, yeah. There's no mountain too high. Yep. There's no ocean too high. The brass lines on yep. that thing. Oh, my gosh. Crazy good. Yeah. yeah. The vocals on that are amazing. Kirk's, Kirk's delivery on that, just incredible. And again, just working with Michael Amartian for the first time. I'm just oh, in yeah. awe of that song. That's one of those I can sit back and just go, I don't even remember recording it. It's and killer. I, I just, it's, it's just killer. so killer. So uh, those would be some for me, I guess. If, you know, if I were to put a playlist together of deep cuts, I would put um, Every Reason to Believe, Nature of Love, Greatest Story Ever Told, uh, The Waiting, probably, Mystery of Grace, mm-hmm. Chisel Meets the Stone. Yeah. Um, those songs were always just really... Oh, and you know what else? What else? Another song I'm really proud of, and I wish it would have been a single because I think it would have been a hit, is Do Right from our very first album. Do Right. Yeah, I remember it. (laughs) And, you know, I was always kind of, you know, I was always kind of had a little, not bitter, but, you know, (laughs) I wanted to do more remakes. Ah, yeah. Because that was an old Paul Davis tune that Mm -hmm. we all loved from the late 70s, early 80s. And I'm like, there are so many great songs out there we could remake, but the power of publishing is just too much. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, labels want, you know, their artists to have songs on the records, and, and you know, there was never any room for a remake. Kind of after that, but yeah, you know, I think if I ever make a record again, I'm going to make a me- record of remakes because that I just like to go back and go, what what could we have done with that song? Mm. Or could we have pushed this song to a new place? Love that. Love that. Well, man, I, I got to tell you, you know, for me, we, we were talking about earlier, especially, you know, on the Mount Rushmore world and all that. And you said you don't, you know, that say that old saying, you don't want to meet your heroes. But for me, you know, Benji Cowart, one of my good friends, who's a killer songwriter, just unbelievable, written so many hits. But he said, you know, that day when your your friends become your heroes and mm. your heroes become your friends. I was like, ah, oh, that's so good. And I feel like that's for me, man, with you guys, just becoming friends with you guys and be able to collaborate on ministry and things. Mm-hmm. is just such a gift. Um, and I think it's so important for, um, for the young ones coming up, for everybody that enjoys things, to, to look for those moments. Who, who are those people in your life that you can recognize? Man, God's put a friend in your life. They're really your hero. They're like really the person that's been there, that's been faithful and kind of, you know, go out of your way to bless that person and thank that person. And I think the other thing is watch for those moments where God will surprise you. I call them mm. God winks where he winks at you and says, Hey, I'm, yeah. I'm paying attention. I'm just going to give this to you because you're one of my kids. Yeah. And I, I think for me, that's, that's what it's like working with you and Mark. Oh, you're very kind. Yeah, very so, kind. Yeah, this is pretty fun to have this conversation today. Well, I love you. I call them side hugs. God's little yeah. side hugs where <laughs> he's just like, yeah, you and me, but yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Not I appreciate you. you, Michael. You know, again, I love what we're doing with the worship table. I love what God's got you doing in worship in churches literally all over the world and just what an amazing songwriter you are. And I don't know a church in America that hasn't sung your great name. I mean, just, it, it, it just continues to be a song that I hear everywhere. And, um, yeah, we'll do this again. If you're up for it, you know, we'll keep, Oh man, I'd love it. Yeah. Say have the our word. listeners, have our listeners keep, you guys keep asking us questions. There's 
you know, until you ask the question, sometimes I don't even think to talk about it. Yeah. And go, oh, yeah, that's actually a really great story. So really this, this, I feel like this bucket is endless of things that we can talk about. So let's do it again sometime. I'd love to. Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. If you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Chrisman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychrisman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.